0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the ULGA Young Professionals, the Young Turks, the Rachel Maddow Show, the Majority Report, Exploded View, and This Week in Blackness Radio. And a note for our more sensitive white, straight, Christian males, or any derivation thereof, if the following segments do not apply to you, then don't take offense simply because they apply to people similar to you.
1: When you look at me, What do you see? Do you see a thug? A drug dealer? Do you see a threat? Or do you see an attorney? A student? A financial analyst?
2: My individuality doesn't trump my humanity. I may not look like you or talk like you. But I am flesh and blood, just like you. I love this country, and I want to leave this world a better place like you. Sometimes I'm
3: the smartest person in the room. Sometimes I have to learn from others. Sometimes I'm brave. And yes, sometimes fear gets the best of me. But all the time, I'm American. I am equal. I'm tired of having my innocence stripped. With the glance of an eye, or the pierce of a bullet. Your prejudice. Our prejudice is deadly. It strips away our humanity and sound judgment. Leaving us morally naked and vulnerable to be agents of destruction. A miracle won't be the America we claim it is unless we see past skin color and culture and find the
4: man, the father, the son, and the youth in each other challenge your fears and your presence see past
3: the profile
4: Day. what a cavalry are and the aim
5: is not to burst into flames
6: Lamar County Alabama is uh currently holding a white's only Christian gathering and uh, they do believe that Europeans and their descendants are the chosen people. However, they maintain that they are not racist. Okay? Uh, here's their quote. They say, yes, we believe that the Europeans and their descendants are the chosen people of God. We believe this not because we think that the white race is superior, but because there is overwhelming proof in support of this belief. We do not back down from this belief because we are certain.
3: Oh well, well, that ought to do it then. <laughs> well, I didn't know they were that certain. I thought it was just a silly belief, but it turns out they got this thing locked down. But
6: there's overwhelming proof. They just don't know what the proof is.
7: I wouldn't go to that event. It's supposedly,
3: it's a three-day event. Is yes. that right? I wouldn't go to that event because I know the food would suck. Just purely based on the food. Uh-huh. Think about it. Just a bunch of white people just cooking up stuff. It's not going to be very good. I love these guys because they're like, I don't know, you don't get it. We're not racist. We just happen to know that white people are superior.
6: Right, we have proof. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I want to give you guys an idea of who these people are. Uh so let's listen to Reverend William Collier talk Yay. about the event. Does this conference exclude
1: black people? So. We don't have facilities. We're seldom ever, if ever, have been invited to black Muslim events, and, uh, we don't, uh, we've never been invited to NAACP
8: events, and, uh, we've never been enjo- invited to, uh, join in jo- uh, Jewish synagogue events and stuff. He
6: says it's not a racist event, even though members of the KKK will be there.
1: But it has nothing whatsoever to do with any kind of racism or hate or anything like that. And
5: anybody who would brand that as that would be a racist and a hater themselves you know
9: the flyer does talk about a cross-lighting ceremony but collier says one will be burned for religious purposes only
1: so our uh, rendition of lighting the cross is uh, opposition to tyranny
3: okay <laughs> I, what I don't understand is why they're bothering to pretend I know like so you're doing a freaking cross burning you say it's for whites only why bother pretending that you're not a racist like I don't get it. Like, what's the trick? What's the They're like,
6: only as racist as the NAACP because the NAACP hasn't invited them to any of their events. I so. think
3: that guy and Brad Pitt's mom should get together and do a TV show. <laughs> Actually, I might watch that yeah. though. Like that guy's a character. That guy could replace Regis. What do you think? Let's just say you're for this real hateful white this this white power sort of this is a kk rally i mean let's just be clear about it Mm -hmm. i mean what did they call it a cross lighting no it's a cross burning come on folks um (laughs) but but if that's (laughs) going to be your guy if that's the face of your weekend you really
7: need to hire a new publicist or get get new spokesperson you gotta have teeth you can't have you can't look like that in america
6: well he did have beautiful hair
3: (laughs) (laughs) and a pretty mouth okay (laughs) now now that's the thing though in some ironic way, it actually helps our cause for people not to be racist. Because then you think, like, do I want to be in the, in the same room with that guy? Especially that room? Okay, the one part of his story, I believe, is he says, well, we don't have room here for, uh, you know, uh, blacks and stuff. And you saw the shack in the back, and I was like, well, maybe they don't. No. <laughs> like, yeah. there's no chance. Close the laundry
2: door.
7: Celebrating success instead of attacking it and denigrating makes America strong. That's the right course for this country. His course is extraordinarily foreign. The course we're on right now is foreign to us. It changes America. This idea of of criticizing and attacking success, of demonizing those in all walks of life who've been successful, is something which is so foreign to us we simply can't understand it.
5: Mr. Romney himself now pushing the line that President Obama is kind of foreign. Uh, Joining us now is Bob Herbert, distinguished senior fellow at Demos Public Policy Advocacy Center and a contributor for Policyshop.net. Mr. Herbert, it's great to have you here. Hi, Rachel. Good to be here. Is this just a difference between John McCain and Mitt Romney as people, or does this reflect an overall change in Republican politics that now the candidate can just hold that he's a foreigner banner?
10: No, it's, 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 it's a difference between McCain and Romney for sure, but McCain is the exception to the GOP rule here. The Republican Party has been a safe house for bigotry for decades. That's what the Southern strategy was all about. You know, we're in the process now of canonizing George H.W. Bush, but it was George H.W. Bush who gave us those Willie Horton ads in 1988, and Ronald Reagan, who's already achieved sainthood in the GOP, he started his general campaign in 1980 in Philadelphia, Mississippi, and that's where those three civil rights workers were killed. And that was just, it, to me, such a reprehensible thing to do. I was, um, uh, good friends with the mother of Andrew Goodman, one of those uh, uh, civil rights workers who was murdered. And um, she died a couple of years ago, and I am still good friends with his uh, brother, David Goodman. That family never recovered from those murders, and to give aid and comfort to the people who killed that young man, who was only 20 years old at the time, is just beyond the pale as far as I'm concerned.
5: Safe, The, the Republican Party as a safe house for bigotry, is strong terms, and you're making the case for why you're using language that that strong. I wonder though if as a matter of political practice the country is also a safe house for that kind of bigotry. I mean, the the, the thing that underlined that whole Fred Davis proposal earlier this year that we would uh, that the that the we'd see the, the the Republican candidate run against President Obama as the other that whole weird metrosexual Black Abe Lincoln yep. thing. As soon as that was brought to light, ended up on the front page of the New York Times. It was roundly denounced. But the underlying thinking about that was that John McCain lost because he didn't denounce Barack Obama in racist enough terms. Is that is that right as a matter of political practice?
10: I actually think that it is not. I don't think that that's why John McCain lost the election last time around. There is, and uh, anyone who has followed my writing over many years will know, um, that there that there is a great deal of racism still in the United States of America. I have been, I have been calling people out on it for the longest time. But uh, this country has become... Um, consistently less bigoted throughout my lifetime Mm. and it is and this is the period of the least bigotry that I've seen. I think that we're we're moving slowly and it's difficult but I think that we've been moving in the right direction and we're going to continue to move in the right direction and the people that keep pounding the bigotry in in, and 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 i call the republican the safe house because they tolerate it uh... more much more than the democratic party does the people that keep pounding this theme. They're the outliers. They're the mm. dead-enders to steal a, a term from our former vice president. They're on the uh, on the wrong side of history on, on this issue, and I think that that is the wrong tactic for the GOP to take in this election. I could be proved wrong, but I hope and I think that I'm correct.
5: Do you think that there is a bright connecting line between the... Obama as other idea. I mean, seeing Mitt Romney repeatedly, all of yeah. a sudden, starting to use this word "foreign" with his top advisor talking about Indonesia. It. Oh yeah, the, I can uh, see him in front of the mirror, foreign, foreign. Foreign. Making even as the applause swells, making sure he gets yep. the "foreign" line in there, so yep. that is on the record, and so that gets quoted and that gets repeated, and then going back to it again and again. Is there a bright connecting line between the idea of foreignness and
10: race? Oh, no question about it. You know, Lee Atwater explained it he said that in the early days of the southern strategy you could come out and you could use the bigoted term you could say the n-word over and over again and pound it and you could get you know the uh, segregationist block to come out and 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 you'd win those votes he said uh, but after a while and this goes to the change that I'm talking about that has been occurring over the decades after a while he said you can't just keep pounding that theme uh, over and over again so you have to use other terms you have to use code words and now now with Barack Obama pres- uh, president, the code, the code words are uh, foreign, uh, perhaps Muslim, uh, maybe not Christian. It all means not one of us. And what they mean by us is a certain kind of white person. But I don't believe that that's the prevailing opinion or prevailing view among whites in the united states in two thousand and twelve i think that it's a losing theme in this election
5: you know that and that assessment is shared by top democratic operatives who have responded to this pivot today by the romney campaign the last couple days by the romney campaign with glee Mm -hmm. essentially saying if that's all you got we're in good shape yeah i think that's true
4: A black couple in Crystal Springs, Mississippi, has said that a predominantly white Baptist church refused to let them get married because of their race. Charles and Tay Andrea Wilson told local television there that the day before they were to be married, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Crystal Springs informed them that the ceremony would have to be moved because of the reaction of some white church members. Even though these people had attended this church regularly, they were members of the congregation. So the guy basically said that the church congregation has decided no blacks could be married at that church. And if the pastor went on to marry her, then they would vote him out of the church. it's probably what Jesus would want, right I mean, what were the things that Jesus taught about like easier to get into heaven uh than a uh, for than for a rich man a uh, rich guy get in heaven is easier than a uh, was it a camel through a I, eye of a needle and uh black people should not be married in white people 's churches I think those were the two those are the two big ones I think i remember i't i 'm don't i'm not I have to say that I never received any Christian education, so I'm not 100% sure.
9: Interesting that Jesus was self-hating.
4: Well, you're just, you're, you know, he was tan. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of him doing this. He looks white to me. The
9: photographs, the, the live, there photographs. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> Dr. Stan Weatherford, the church's pastor, Was forced to perform the marriage at another church after he was taken by surprise at his congregation's outrage. This had never been done he- before here, so it was setting a new precedent. This horrible precedent of two black people being married, or. I didn't want to have a controversy within the church and I didn't want the controversy to affect the wedding of Charles and andrea I want to make sure their wedding day was special day. Yeah, now you know what you should do, resign. Do you re- are you really going to go up and preach to a church congregation that thinks it's controversial that black people should marry? I mean What would happen if There was a black person and a white person.
9: Oh, my God. Shouldn't these people be happy that it was two black people? There wasn't some sort of
8: crazy interracial thing going Mm. on?
9: Can't have that happening. Mm.
4: Last year, a small church in Pike County, Kentucky, voted to ban interracial couples from most church activities to provide greater unity among the church body. I mean, I could see banning not performing... Marriages between two religions. Okay? I don't necessarily agree with that, but I get it. For whatever reason, you want to maintain, you know, the sacraments of one church don't necessarily apply to someone who is a member of another church. You know, if I marry uh, you as, uh, you know, and, and we had rabbis who wouldn't marry Nikki and I. Because they're like, well, nothing that I'm saying has any meaning to your wife. Because she's not from this religious creed. Uh, I mean, I get that. I don't know if i fully buy it, but I get it. But if you've got members of your church, and it's just the race, just their color, uh, I would, would make me wonder why am I going to a church. Does Jesus really really support this is it any less meaningful to a black person who attends a Baptist church what the Baptists do to marry is it any less meaningful because they're black I don't get it Jesus really hated change Jesus, this is the one thing about Jesus that people didn't know. He was always very uptight about change yeah
9: when he when yeah. he when he died and had to open the gates of heaven, you know he was like, "'Oh, come on, Dad, do I have to It's never been done before it's
4: it was very awkward, and then Jesus found out there were black people, apparently uh black people were invented um you know sometime like in like about five ten years after he died the first time or the second time i'm not sure well it's dark in the city i've lost my pride the lights in the streets hide the stars from my eyes it's been a long long time coming but i know the change is gonna come and it's too hard living but i'm afraid to die I don't know what's up there Just on the sky It's been a long,
6: long time coming But I know a change is going to come A Baptist church in Jackson, Mississippi banned a black couple from getting married because they're black. Uh, in fact, they were uh, very open and honest about that. Uh, the pastor from the church, however, was conflicted about it and decided to marry them uh, at a different church. However, Charles and Tiandra Wilson share their story in this report from WLBT in Jackson, Mississippi. Let's watch.
9: Congregation had decided that no black couple could
2: be
1: married at their church, and that if they if he went on to have to marry us,
9: then they would vote him out and he would be put out the church.
0: The Wilsons were trying to get
1: married at the predominantly white First Baptist Church of Crystal Springs, a church they attend regularly but are not members of.
8: We couldn't have the wedding at the church. He had people in the sanctuary that was pitching a fit about us being a black couple. I mean, I didn't like it at all because I wasn't brought up to be racist. I, I, was, brought, I, I was brought up in the church all my life to love and care for everybody.
3: Okay, uh, I wouldn't live in Mississippi.
8: Mm-hmm. Okay,
3: So now let me clarify. First of all, even in that town, a lot of people who found out about it, whether they were black or white, were outraged and didn't know that this was happening. And uh, and but when you look at the macro picture, it's not everybody at all. It's not even the majority people in Mississippi. It's not the majority of white people in Mississippi. So let's not be unfair. And I visited Mississippi, and, and and I loved it, and I had a great time there. Okay. But there is a significant percentage uh, in some of the southern states, and particularly in Mississippi, that are so deeply racist that I would be worried about raising kids in that environment. What are they going to think of my kids? What are they going to teach my kids accidentally like through uh, interact with interacting with them, etc and it's terrible. look you got, look you got to look internally and you're going to say, how can we get rid of this kind of idea?" I mean this sounds like it's out of the 1950s, 1920s, 1850s I mean you don't so this church, do you know that it's been around since 1883 and they have never allowed a black wedding since then? They're now having internal deliberations right. about whether they should allow black people to get married in that church at a later time. Like like this is perfectly normal. They're just having that conversation. I don't know, we've always hated black people. Should we allow uh, and, and you know uh, are they not merciful? They allow black people in church, uh, but I mean coming not uh, not anything as sacrosanct as marriage, I mean that 's not this for white people in that church, not for the inferior race of black people. I mean i can 't have my kids hanging around that and look in uh, during the uh, Republican primaries, there was an amazing poll done where over twenty percent, nearly a quarter of the uh, Republican voters in Mississippi thought that interracial marriage should be banned.
6: right in the year two thousand twelve how is that possible how is this story possible i know oftentimes we talk about institutional racism and how racism is no longer as overt as it used to be but then you have these um, you know incidents and you know some people will say well it's anecdotal that's not evidence that racism is still alive and well but no it's not anecdotal like it's it's not just anecdotal this is something that happens throughout the country and people just completely deny it and they pretend like it doesn't exist but it's a real problem that should be discussed
3: and and one more quick thing about that which is that it's not just one or two people that are objecting in the church it's not just oh you know that guy turns out to be a race of course there's racists throughout the country everybody except republicans who are in denial understand that and acknowledge that it was the church it was the community of that church that told the pastor if you marry these black people in our white church we will fire you now the pastor felt bad about it and he wanted to make sure their uh, wedding happened so he married them at a different church but a lot of people say hey you know what what would Jesus Christ do and and you shouldn't have done this and you should have just you know taken uh, uh, you know a stand on this mm-hmm. I feel bad for the pastor in some ways I, I you know I wish he had taken a stand but it's mainly on that entire community that goes to that church that just doesn't like just I guess feels that black people are not their equals it's amazing. Steve, what are you guys complaining about? We have
1: a black president. Racism is dead. Liberals whine all the time about racism. It's dead. Black president.
3: Oh, okay, well I, sorry. Laura I forgot about that. in the that.
6: No, but, By the way, but maybe, in all
3: in all honesty, see, that's exactly what we're talking about. We we did that segment on Doctor Laura before where she's like, Why do they still have a chip on their shoulder? Because you didn't live that life, Doctor Laura. You you don't know. What it is to walk a mile in their shoes. You never had somebody say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't." She's inferior. Maybe we shouldn't let her her kind get married here. I mean, if they had said that about her ethnicity, I think she's Jewish, and they say, "Oh, we're not going to let Jews get married around here. They're not good enough." What do you think, Dr. Laura's reaction would be? Do you think she'd say, "Well, it's okay because um, the president's chief of staff was Jewish"? So, what's your complaint? No, that would be a significant complaint. Good <laughs>
0: By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help.
4: Hey,
7: white guys, my name is Bill, and as you can probably tell just by looking at me, I'm uh... Middle-aged, middle-class, American white guy. Something that might not be so obvious just by looking is the fact that I'm also heterosexual and married with a grown kid. So you feeling like you're getting pushed around just because you're white? Do you think that we're spending way too much energy and time protecting women, gay people, minorities and such? You know, have you ever caught yourself saying, what about us? Who's looking out for the average guy who works hard, pays his taxes, and struggles just to get by? Well, I hear you, man, And I'm here to offer some suggestions. (laughs) Jack up your jeans, Joe, and get off the pity pot, for Christ's sake. Seriously. Whatever sucks for us, we still have the good fortune of being part of the crew that won the rights raffle. We have the trifecta for Americans. We're white, male, and heterosexual. I gotta believe that whining about our lot seems pretty weak to the rest of the country it's kind of like donald trump grousing about the view from his penthouse to some poor dude living in a cardboard box and it's true we we don't get a pass from despair and hard luck no one's exempt from a crap bath it's just that we start at third base when everyone else is still lining up for an at-bat you know what I promise you that I'll be right there with you, screaming on the internet or chanting at rallies the day that 83% of Congress is made up of women and they ruled that life begins with ejaculation. That would just be wrong. Or the day that 1 in 10 white guys are locked up in prison. A man, you know, I promise you that I will join you on the streets protesting when we hear about gangs of gay and transgender folks beating bigots to death. That'll be me right up front yelling the loudest. Hell, the day that... We white guys statistically make less money as a class, enjoy less freedoms, account for the disproportionate majority of, in infant deaths, and unemployed? I'll join the chorus of rage, and I will fight until I drop for the fairness and justice that we, the oppressed gringos, so richly deserve. But until that day, if that day ever shows up at all, I think it's in all of our best interest not to embarrass ourselves by moaning, what about us? Instead, we'd all be a lot better off if we focused our energy on the actual dicks who are punking the whole country while we squabble over the scraps. And unfortunately, most of them are white guys too. I'm just saying.
5: Let me tell y'all what it's like Being male, middle class, and white It's a bitch if you don't believe Listen up to my new CD, Shamal
7: Obama quietly announced a plan to gut welfare reform by dropping work requirements. Under Obama's plan, you wouldn't have to work
4: and wouldn't have to train for a job. They just send you your welfare check. And welfare to work goes back to being plain old welfare.
5: That is not true. As a factual policy matter, that is not true. But it is out there, and strategically, it seems to be part of the Romney campaign's new bid to try to change the subject away from what everybody else has been talking about for weeks now, which is their own candidate's refusal to release his tax returns. This is a new gambit from the campaign, part of an effort to start talking about anything, anything else, even if it is what I believe to be obvious dog-whistle racism in this newest campaign gambit. Joining us now is Melissa Harris-Perry, host of the great MSNBC Weekend Morning Show with the same name. Melissa, it's good to see you. Thank you for being here.
9: Absolutely. Happy to do it.
5: Is this uh, Newt Gingrich's food stamps president redux? Is this uh, President Reagan's welfare queen attack redux? Is
9: Is this anything new or is this part of a pattern? Well well, don't don't miss it, there's another part of that pattern, and that is um, President Bill Clinton's welfare reform. Redux. In <laughs> other words, what I want to be really clear about about how African American um, single mothers who are in circumstances of poverty and trying to raise their children in difficult circumstances—that's what we're talking about when we use this kind of welfare queen boogeyman. And certainly, um, Ronald Reagan and uh, his Republican predecessors, uh, excuse me, the, the people who came after him are, are people who who gave us that language, who stoked the fire of it in both local elections like Jesse Helms that you pointed out earlier around affirmative action, but but also um, uh, uh, George Bush's campaign and, and Willie Horton and all of that. But it is also the tactic that was used by Bill Clinton to move the Democratic Party nationally far enough to the right to win the votes that, that turned the party in part into, I think, a much less courageous party around questions of race. And so, you know, earlier you were pointing out the importance of talking about women's reproductive rights and going right at that and saying, Democrats are going to be brave about this and make this an issue on which they will run. Well, the fact is, Democrats are going to have to eschew the legacy of Bill Clinton and go right at this question of racial equality. On the issue of policy here, though,
5: one of the things that I think hamstrings the the Obama campaign on this is that they've made essentially no policy on welfare issues, uh, at least nothing that sparked this. I mean, the waiver, the request that they have granted from these Republican governors is a very mild change to this policy that will play out differently in different states, depending on whether or not they get these waivers, whether or not they use them, and it doesn't actually have any national political implications because there is no national policy change except to give what states a little more flexibility. And so, that, President Obama isn't isn't doing something here that he can campaign on. It, it's
9: the attack seems to be the political act here, not the policy. Absolutely, and, that, and I think I think those are the two pieces. So on, on one side, there's a policy point here where the president is actually actually contributing to a kind of state's rights philosophy, right, which the Republicans claim to be at the center of their own political ideology is this idea of states making their own choices. But we know that the conservatives tend to only want that if they believe that states are going to make choices that um, track towards conservative policies and and ideological positions. So, for example, they're not very interested in state-by-state marriage equality. (laughs) They are very interested in state-by-state reductions of Planned Parenthood capacity, for example. So, on one hand, there's this this policy issue where the president can say, look, I haven't made any serious change and to the extent that I have, it actually moves towards states' rights and that's what you guys claim that you like. But I do think on the question of tactics and this position that you can use African-American bodies and particularly the bodies of poor black women as a boogeyman, as a wedge that can, that basically, right, the goal here is to distract white women who, if they pay attention to what's going on with reproductive rights will overwhelmingly choose president obama and congressional Democrats to encourage them not to think about that issue but instead to stoke racial resentment pr- primarily among white women voters in order to get them to vote their race rather than the gender
5: with the angst of a teenage band, here's another song about'll understand here's another song about a gender i'll never understand
4: Is uh, pretty stunning. Coming out of Tufts University, this is no, this Tufts University is School no. of Arts and Sciences, uh, in conjunction with the Harvard Business School, whites believe that they have replaced blacks as the primary victim of racial discrimination in contemporary America. This, according to uh, that new study out of Tufts, they asked a nationwide sample of 208 blacks and 209 whites to indicate. The extent to which they felt blacks and whites were the targets of discrimination in each decade from the 1950s to the 2000s. A scale of one to 10 used, uh, was used with one being not at all and 10 being very much. White and black estimates of bias in the 1950s were similar. Respondents also generally agreed that racism against blacks has decreased over time, although whites de- uh, believed it has declined faster than blacks do. Well, I mean that's to be expected. I mean no no I mean honestly on some level that's to be expected. To to be able to calibrate that as a white person, you're never going to be as sensitive to how much racism is it in play the, as a black person does cuz you're not subjected to it on a daily basis. You're not subjected to it. You're not subjected to it. Period. You know, so in any situation where you have to empathize with someone, you can never really fully appreciate how that impacts their lives you can come close so the notion that the disparity of how much uh, racism has decreased that doesn't surprise me that much however whites believe that racism against whites, whites has increased significantly as racism against blacks has decreased so that means that these white people must feel they are the objects of racism which is a wholly different phenomena on average whites rated anti-white bias as more prevalent in the two thousands than anti-black bias by more than a full point on the ten-point scale in other words so not only do whites in this study Think that they are being subjected to racism, they think they're being subjected to racism more than blacks are today. Moreover, some 11% of whites gave anti white bias the maximum rating of 10, compared to only 2% of whites who rated anti black bias a 10. you know what the 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 subtitle of this study could be whites are the biggest bunch of whiny ass t d babies this is uh, this is just stunning how completely divorced from reality do you have to be and the irony is of course is that this story uh was or this study was taken it was at least uh, performed by researchers in Boston. And in a moment I'll talk about that TSA story coming out of Boston, where Boston TSA security personnel have been targeting blacks and Hispanics so much so that their fell that thirty, thirty other of their fellow TSA guards or security personnel have been saying, like There's a problem here. Just stunning. And of course, you understand that playing on this notion that whites feel that they are more a target of racism than black people, this is what is known as the Republican electoral strategy. It is why you will see these ads about welfare giveaways and Obama being angry and hateful. It is because it plays in to this notion that many whites apparently have that they are an oppressed majority because they're white. Just, I don't know, I don't even know what the word for it is. Ridiculous? Sickening? I don't know. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left, like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, Comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock, and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. Ice tea.
3: Wind up making an argument in favor of gun rights. Now, the Conservatives obviously also in favor of gun rights. In fact, they often make the same point that Ice T made about tyranny. Hey, you gotta protect yourself from the government, right? So you would think that Rush Limbaugh would agree with him. Well, <laughs> that's not really how it went down. Now, I don't know if he's agreeing with him in any way, shape, or form here, but no matter what, the way that he says it and characterizes Ice T is dripping with racism. And and condescension. God, it's all. Watch. So, do you carry guns routinely?
1: You you have a gun at home, Mr. Ice? Yeah, it's legal in the United States. It's part of our Constitution. You know, the right to bear arms is because that's the last form of defense against tyranny, not to hunt. It's to protect yourself from the police. The United States is based on guns, you know?
3: <laughs> so, here you have this sophisticated. From the UK's Eyeball News Channel Four, and there's Ice T saying the only reason we got guns in America is to protect yourself from the police. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're told, hey, it's cultural. We got to understand it from the cultural standpoint. That's that's where Mr. T's coming from. Now he did. He knew the word tyranny. He knew the word tyranny. And he knows that tyranny comes from government representatives. Double impressive. Uh, uh, How can he make that any worse? Oh, uh, does this black rapper know the word tyranny? It's so funny because he's talking to a (laughs) sophisticate. This black guy talking to a sophisticate, and then he knows the word tyranny. I suppose we're supposed to respect this culture. But wait a minute! Did Ice T speak in any way, shape, or form that made you think, "Hey, you know what? Perhaps he's got trouble with grammar, etc." As a lot of musicians do, black and white, right? Or it's not that they have trouble with grammar; it's just simply that's how the music goes, right? <laughs> no, no, no! He was perfectly eloquent, but it doesn't matter because he's Ice T. He's a rapper. He's black. <laughs> I'm suppose supposed to respect his culture. <laughs> And look, when Republicans and Conservatives uh say they are in favor of the Second Amendment because it protects them against tyranny, then Rush Limbaugh loves it. Yeah, that's right, the federal government the government is bad, the big government, it protects us. Conservative talk shows like G. Gordon Liddy said, you know, you should shoot jack booted thugs from the federal government if they come to your uh land and your property, right? So that's a great thing. But when it's iced tea, oh it's about the cops. Well, you know how they are. You know, the blacks hate cops. And so Rush Limbaugh's not on that side. But he gets a big kick out of the fact that <laughs> Ice-T used the word tyranny, when obviously he's stupid because he's black rapper. Come on. So that didn't sit well with Ice-T. He tweeted out, Rush Limbaugh said he was impressed. I knew the word tyranny. He's a racist piece of shit. <laughs> so how's that for clear? And i got to be honest. <laughs> well, first of all, obviously I'm on ice T side. But the honest part is, I think he nailed it. Okay, it's not that we disagree with Rush Limbaugh's politics in this. In fact, Ice T's politics line up in this issue with Rush Limbaugh's politics. I disagree with both of them on the policy issue. It's just that Rush Limbaugh racist. He he does it every time. I guess for Rush's followers, last thing on this, Rush's followers, unless he calls Ice T the N word. Even then, I think they would probably excuse it. They say he's joking or whatever, right? But like, how do you watch that and not see it dripping with context? Like, c- come on, really? Like, you look at me and go, "Oh, no, 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 it's, that's no big deal," and it had no racial component at all. I keep thinking, like, how could the Rush Limbaugh audience not hear what he's saying about iced tea and see that it's racist, right? But what I'm missing is that <laughs> the Rush Limbaugh audience is listening so that they can hear that. It's not that they're missing it. It's that they're, they're looking forward to it. Uh, because I can't get it through my head that people see issues literally in white versus black. And they that there's still people that live among us and a lot of them and some of them are older, not all of them are older, but that think like, "Oh, those are the people that drove me out of Englewood. I don't like those guys. Those you know, those are the guys who got this or that. It's us versus them." And uh and so that's why Russia is successful, because there's a significant contingent of Americans who still think that way. And when he says that stuff about ice tea, they crack up. They think it's hilarious. A black guy knows the word tyranny. He's a stitch. That's crazy.
5: This is when.
4: You my
8: so, Aaron, you remember the story we covered of NYPD having a secret unit that was spying on Muslims, not only in New York, but in like Jersey and stuff, right? Yeah. We talked about that and mm-hmm. we talked the implications of that and, you know, what we, uh, didn't report on, cause I looked back, at, uh, listened back at the episodes is that there is a federal case, uh, going on, um, that some of this information is coming out, you know, is it, the reason why a lot of this information came out. We talked about how the, the, uh, their New Jersey efforts were discovered. Remember, like the guy that, <laughs> the super that just walked in, <laughs> to an apartment built, you know, to an apartment was like, hey, why are all of these NYPD stuff in like <laughs> your hey, one stupid thing? But so in the middle, um, it's, it's been about six years or just over six years, um, that, uh, they've been doing, uh, this secret, um, spying. It was called the demographics unit. Um, it's come out through court testimony that was unsealed, um, la- uh, Monday that all of the things that they did over, A six-year period and chronicalizing all of these neighborhoods and spying on people and all this stuff like that. Saved so many lives. No. What? What do you mean? No. It never generated a lead or triggered a terrorism investigation.
2: You mean there that o for 70 instances or just so for whatever? Nothing. They they didn't even find like a a jaywalker? Nope. Anybody not pay their electric bill? Nope. Something can't be staring at people for years and just got nothing? Nope did d- Any one of them laid on their cell phone bill payments? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, something's got to give. You staring at people for years,
1: there's got to be something. But imagine you have, to, you have to come up with something. Yeah,
8: well, the the specific uh, the, this was during a dep- uh, deposition um, back in June. The the testimony came um, out of this federal civil rights case, um, and the assistant chief Thomas Galati. Or Galati, um, said none of the conversations the officers overheard ever led to a specific case. He said, I never made a lead from rhetoric that came from a demographics report and I've been here since 2006. I don't recall other ones prior to my arrival. There's always a possibility, but I'm not aware of any.
2: There's nothing like they didn't even like, like say playing like a Street Fighter and they just turn off the Xbox in a huff, in the middle of a game. Nothing. Walk outside barefoot. You don't like that one,
1: Elder. When he walking outside Not barefoot. Not
8: illegal, apparently, though. Unfortunately. Okay. All right.
1: Well, you know what? At least the uh, NYPD uh, is at least. I mean, yes, this was a, this was a problem, and. This is something they're probably being looked into. But, but, I mean, the fact that we know about this is probably means they're working on it and that, oh. uh, the fact is that it's not that big a deal. Like in New York, we really do, we really do respect the police and then we know that they are just a strong, uh, a, a force that really tries to protect everyone equally and unfairly.
8: No. Damn it. So how many, no. So
2: how many cops are just sitting there staring at blacks and Spanish and, and Muslim people just staring at them? Just staring at them. All day. The, how many, how, what percentage of our police force is just assigned with staring at brown people?
1: I don't have that statistic, Aaron. Um, I can look into it. I don't believe that it's probably <laughs> there. There is a
8: statistic that I have, though, Elon.
1: What statistic do you have?
8: Majority in New York City see police as favorable to whites.
1: What? No! That's impossible! That's,
8: that's, that's not true! That's
1: no! That's, where's uh. the science? Well, I hear no science in your words. Uh, 80% no that's not the right uh, statistic it's actually 64% um, uh, 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 feel that there's a, favor, a favoring uh of whites but uh specifically uh 59% of people believe that um uh call it, uh whites are treated better than blacks uh basically uh the the the, the majority in, um, in new york believe that uh of course when it goes to uh different groups i believe it's 80% of black people believe that um, whites are treated better and about 48% of uh whites <laughs> believe that uh and uh, it, it it was uh it was uh, a study that the new york times uh put out yesterday and uh i ended up uh covering that today uh on on elongated thoughts because i i one, I, I it was one of those studies that you know we talk about that you kind of just go seriously this is a study that you did that you that 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 people feel like uh, whites are treated Snooze. better. News. It's not news. We've known this forever, El Joy. News. But the fact is, they have to. Uh, they 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 now now it might be news um, because you know, hey hey, the New York Times said it, and now it's out there, so maybe it'll be news now but the best part about it was there's a quote i just i literally just tweeted out the quote while we're while we're on air uh because that was the quote that stuck out to me the most in the article it was uh there was a, a woman that they interviewed and uh i i i quoted it saying uh but some new yorkers while conceding that the police show favoritism for one race over another said that the stop and frisk tactics ends ends justify the means if that's what it takes, I find it acceptable, said Janny Kipnis, a 58-year-old uh, special education teacher from Brooklyn who is white. She said that she thought that officers single out minority groups, but that if you look at the crime in New York, it's less white people. That's just the way it is. Quote, I wouldn't want to be stopped and frisked, she's added, but if you look at cities like Detroit and other cities that have a way higher crime rate than New York, I think New York has to be doing something right. <sighs> Yeah, and that right there is the problem.
8: Why I want to set things on fire?
1: Uh, And the fact that the reason, probably one of the reasons why this still is allowed to happen, because like I said, at least fifty percent, fifty-two percent of white people totally think that uh, one, there's no uh, mistreatment at all, and then even a part of the percentage that do think that there's favoritism still thinks that we should, in fact, be basically discriminated against? Because in all honesty, if you want to break down what that quote means, that's what she said. Yes, this is. Uh, listen, we got to check them, and we got to constantly. It's not fair, and I probably won't be stopped. But we got to continue doing this because you know, I mean, what a, they they're they're committing all the crimes. They're all crimey. They're all they're all crimey crime 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 crimeers. That's right. Crimeers, crip crime remember the crime kind of rate crazy. the crime
2: what? rate is in our hands elon hmm? crime rate statistics are in our hands
1: i uh, what I mean so what at what point I mean like it, it's one of those situations where what do you do then when people who even understand that yes yes this is wrong yes you are yes there is discrimination but now nah, you gotta do it though that got you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, I mean, I got to be safe when I'm walking down the street, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to walk my dog and everything. I can't have all, all, all the dangerous Negroes coming at me. What I mean, it's not fair to the the innocent Negroes, but the dangerous Negroes. I mean, ah, let alone the fact that uh, eighty nine percent of people that are, are stopped to be a stop and frisk are in fact let go and completely innocent. Forget that. That's not a real fact. That's actually necessary for that. It's way more. It's way more important uh, that uh, a couple of people feel a little bit safer uh, than the fact that you were just making a whole group, a whole uh, portion of your society uh, feel guilty upon walking outside. Do you understand how often I'm just nervous that I'm being looked at as uh, as some sort of uh, criminal on a regular basis? I didn't realize it I, uh, like fully until maybe in the past two or three months. That I, on a regular basis, do things to try to dispel any criminal uh, feel that people might have for me when I'm in environments where I think that they might consider me to be a criminal. Like, when I'm in stores, mm-hmm. like, I specifically, like, let's say I have a bag. I will make sure my bag is closed yep. or whatever so that they don't uh uh think anything about me. I keep my hands out. Like, God forbid, oh, my God, if I go into a store and I don't buy anything, like, sometimes I'll run into a store, like, like for a soda, but they don't have the soda I want. Or I'll go into a department store and I'm looking for some sort of a, a, a gadget or some sort of a clothing thing. If I don't buy anything, I actively, actively keep my hands out. You know, look, yep. I didn't touch anything. What? I'm not doing it. because I because I yep. I don't the, don't. the following uh, that you that you receive, uh, the weird looks and stares and stuff like that. I'm so used yep. to it that I've internalized it, and I actively actually do things in order to seem less uh, criminal like. When, when there are a bunch of cops around, I act. I specifically try to seem as if I, there's nothing wrong here, coppers. Yep.
2: I, when mm. I when I'm in when I walk out of stores, I have my headphones on. And I always take one out of the air to make sure the person that goes. Hey, hey, you. And I can hear them so they don't have to tackle me in the middle of the block thinking I stole a soda that I didn't steal because I didn't buy anything, but they just want to hassle me. And when I when I walk wow. past police officers, I didn't realize this before. Sometimes I walk past police officers, I worry that if they stop me, I'm like, who's the last person to saw me? Denise saw me, Manny saw me, you want to talk to me? Okay. I, four, you what, know I, what, I mean? what I
1: worry about is my clothing. I worry about what I'm wearing at the moment because sometimes, like, uh, like I, 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 like, I, my mom gives me a hard time because she'll say that I have my hoodie on and my hat to the side, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes I'll be outside and I'll, I'll think of what I'm wearing and I'll see cops and I'm like, crap, is this a really easily, uh, mistaken yep. thing? Like I'm wearing a black hat, black shirt and jeans. Yep. That is. That is, that is a uh, public enemy number one right there. That's not, there's nothing defining about what I'm wearing right now. I can easily blend into a lot of things. I th- they, these are the things that go through my head when I'm outside in the street. And I would, I, I, as much as I talk about and all, write about this stuff, half the time I do not even think of it as being abnormal. Yep.
5: Wow! I do. I, I, it's
1: not even a question. It's just like, oh, this is how. And I'm wondering. And part of it, I, I believe, it's the training that we got because our parents didn't want us shot and killed. Right. So actively, I specifically am trying to make sure. Like, listen, hey, well, I'm you, I'm, I am, uh, I, I, my, my tone. Like, if I am questioning, good afternoon. How may how may I help you? I'm sorry, I don't. I, I'm unfamiliar with what you're speaking of. Like, I am, I am very, very, very careful. I'm very careful about being seen as being threatening or menacing at all. If I say excuse me, I'm uber, uber polite. Uh,
8: well, that's a difference also of, you know, black males versus, you know, black female. I mean, there are certainly obviously things that I know that I can and cannot do and all of those things because I'm a black female, mm-hmm. maybe on a professional basis or things like But I don't live my life by every day going in and out of stores and doing like like that.
1: It's, uh, it's, it's literally just, it's the norm.
2: I like to make sure that everyone, like I said, everyone, uh, people have spoken to me just in case they want to pin something some other dreadlock person did on me. Mm-hmm. So everyone, so now it's like, like report, like, you know, you can look and find out where I've been for the past 10 hours.
8: And I also recognize there's a difference because, and I've discussed this before, being raised with exceptionalism, that I also don't do that, you know, do that as well. Like I don't, And you guys have talked about it before where we go places or whatever and they were like, you just walked in there. And acted as if you were deserving it, like I was right. raised with exceptionalism. And, and
1: I will, and you know, I think that is also why I sometimes, when me, like we always talk about Eljoy, uh, uh, Eljoy walks around like she got white privilege. We go and completely confused as to what yeah. she's doing because, El, like, like I'm so used to specifically not doing certain things and specifically being very careful and not wanting to be perceived in some a particular manner that, like, I wouldn't dare do some of the stuff that Eljoy, uh, yeah, and does. you
8: deliberately, you try to halt me from doing there, you know. We've been doing out of like, Oh my God, what are you doing? And I'm like, if you, boy, if you don't come down let and love me,
1: and it freaks me out every time. And I like, it's it's when you start to just start to go down the list of things that you're doing that you actually are trying to not have a problem or issue with. it It's 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 weird, it, and and it and it's and it's scary, and it's sad. It's genuinely sad that yeah, you, you have that, to
8: live your life like
1: that. Do but, you think if I, should if, have- if I had to, if, if, not, not to say no, if, I, if it was just about I have to do this, so I'm doing it. But the fact is that I don't notice it as a problem anymore, El Joy. The fact that cops uh, the, uh, that 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 uh, uh, that I just accept that if I'm trying to catch a cab, it probably won't stop. But if my white wife's trying to catch a cab, then the uh, cab will stop, and I've just accepted that as part of being in uh, being in society. Mm-hmm. That's just it. That when, uh, when, 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 uh, which point if I get loud, everyone will perceive my loudness different from when other people get loud.
8: Right. Not things like that I do and, you know, uh, other stuff. But let me ask you this question. Um, do you think I should raise my kids with the same exceptionalism that I was raised with?
1: <sighs> yes. But at the same time, I would take your son to the side and I would give him a talking to. <laughs> I mean, unless your father was there, I mean, unless your father or your husband was there to give him a talking to you about, from the, uh, the male perspective of being a black dude out in the street. Right. I would probably, like, just, like, give him a, a slight talking to just in case I, I thought he I, I, he I thought he was getting a little bit too froggy. It's just like, guess what? Yes. You, you're exceptional. It's amazing. That's awesome. You know who doesn't know you're exceptional? That cop over there. The cop has no clue about your exceptionalism <laughs> and will beat you and tackle you to the ground. And that... Is a horrible, horrible thought process to have to have in the back of your head all the time. Mm
11: -hmm. And it's, like
1: like I said, like it's something that I don't, I don't, I don't think about anymore. It's not, it's not even something that I can complain about actively because like, it's like, that's like asking me what I, do I complain about the fact that I sweat in the summer (laughs) or that, or or that I need to put on extra layers in the winter because it's cold. It's a part of life and that's just it.
11: This is Jessica from New York. I'm calling about your show on women's issues um, and the story on the train. Uh, it made sense to me, too. And based on my experience with the church, you know, uh, or the Christian church in the United States, guys will open doors for you. They're pulling out your chair. They want to pay for everything, even the you know, the benevolent chivalry, the more troubling, oh, quit your job and let me take care of you um, well at the same time expecting that their wives be submissive to them because that's what the Bible says. And, you know, all the other deeply troubling misogynistic themes, racism, xenophobia, genocide in the Bible, that combination I think is pretty oppressive. And uh, that's was that sense that you got, I think. And after thinking about it, I had that same sense. So I appreciate that comment, love the show, keep up the great work. Hi Jay, this is Mara from Pittsburgh. And I was just calling to make a comment about your story from the August 21st podcast. So a little bit about Mother Jones first. So Mary Harris Jones, her nickname was Mother Jones. And she's the namesake of the magazine, Mother Jones magazine. Uh, she was an Irish Catholic immigrant who came in the late 19th century and married an American iron worker. And because of that, saw firsthand the incredible labor problems and inequalities of her time. After losing her husband and all four of her children to yellow fever, she moved to Chicago and became a labor activist. She raised hell, and those were her own words. She organized unions, fighting for workers' rights, against child labor. She was a hero to the working class all across the country. And one U.S. attorney general even called her the most dangerous woman in America. But interestingly, she didn't believe that women should have the right to vote. And she really stayed away from labor disputes that involved mostly women, like um, strike uh, garment worker strikes, because she believed that a woman's place was in the home, and she said that she feared any kind of equal rights legislation because she thought it would prevent men from doing one of their most important jobs, which is taking care of women so obviously this this was a long time ago, but it's just one example of someone who for most of their actions, we would call it progressive, but who held beliefs that are in sharp contrast to what many of us as progressives think about women. And the point is that there are many people, many men, who can have otherwise very progressive views on a wide range of topics, but nonetheless see women as weaker, lesser, or um, in need of the care of a man. So, obviously, I don't know anything about the guy on the train. I know less than you do. But the story you told didn't surprise me at all. From what you said, he seemed like he could be like a lot of men that I know. Women first, not because the men respect them, but because they need men to take care of them. I don't think this is an uncommon attitude at all. So, just my two cents. Thanks for all your work. Great show. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I received an email on this subject. I mean, I received more than one. But among all of the emails and voicemails that I've gotten, this one sort of did the best job of helping me rethink my own position and and solidifying my own perspective on it because it challenged me in in a really good way. So I'm going to do my best to uh, go through this and respond as I go. So this email came from Lee W. And Lee says, Hi, Jay. I'm Lee, a relatively new listener to the show. I'm also a woman, a non-theist, and an ethnic minority in the U.S. who found herself having very conflicted thoughts about your story about sexism on the subway. While I believe that I would have thought that the man's motivations were questionable, something about your reaction to him also rubbed me the wrong way as well. Listening to the follow-up show and to the reactions to your anecdote that you opted to play, my thoughts became clear. Everyone made a mention of the man's supposed religion and background. There was a gentleman whose call you played that expressed the sentiment, quote, why be so occupied with his sexism when there's so much worse going on, unquote. While I definitely disagree with the notion of ignoring small problems like chauvinists on a train because there's sexist legislating going on in our government, the possible highlighting of his sexism and conflating it with his supposed identity is very troubling to me. Okay, so pause there for a second. Let me say that if a person acted in this exact way without looking overtly religious then I definitely still would have taken notice and I would have wondered where he came to his strong sense of traditional uh, benevolent sexism but the fact that he did dress overtly religiously made me think that that's probably where it came from and it's why it seemed relevant to mention but more on that in a second uh so back to the email In the relating of this tale, the focus, whether intentional or not, to what appeared to be the man's religion and or cultural roots struck me as, quote, othering his sexism, as if it's so much worse or so different, you could never be that way. While I cannot know what was going on in your head and in your heart, I got a feeling that subconsciously you were thinking in the beginning, you know how those Muslims are, and later you were glad to be proven right. Okay, so pause again this is a tricky nuance because I definitely didn't think that he was misogynistic because of his cultural background that, you know, that he said something really overtly misogynistic because of it. I did speculate that his benevolent sexism could have come from his religion, but I definitely didn't think of it narrowly, you know, regarding the Muslim faith you know, as if a follower of any other religion wouldn't be capable of the exact same thing. Now, after posting the original story, I, I I actually really regretted specifying which religion I thought he was. Uh, I thought the fact that he was religious was relevant because it's a somewhat safe bet that that's probably where he came across his sort of arcane traditional views. But, you know, for instance, I withheld his race because I didn't think that was relevant. And, you know, now the more I think about it, the more I think that, you know, mentioning that he was religious may have been relevant, but noting the specific religion really wasn't. Uh, Okay, so continuing on with the email, it's hard to know how much the man's appearance played into your observance of this example of sexism or if this situation would have struck such a chord with you if it involved a man who looked more like yourself. I also cannot know if this man you encountered was sexist because of his religious or cultural background because I, and I think most people, can see such actions being performed by, frankly, an American of any race or background because sexism is so grounded in America. It's not just a Muslim thing or a Middle Eastern thing. Pause again. Absolutely. Total agreement. I certainly didn't think uh, that this style of chauvinism was limited in any way uh, to Muslims or even to religious people in general. Uh, Continuing on, she says, Like I said, I don't know and can't know how much of your reaction was because the man looked different, but I think it's entirely possible that it did figure into your reaction to some degree. I think that others might have the same impression. I also think that whether or not that was your intention, it's important for you to know that's the way you might have come across. Thanks, Lee. So, huge thanks to Lee. I agree with, you know, so much of what she said. And I will definitely admit that his appearance may have influenced my perception of the scene because it would basically be silly to argue otherwise. You know, I mean, we we basically judge everyone and everything around us at all times to develop a perception of Everything that's happening. So, in terms of his being religious, you know, I'm not terribly shy about admitting my distaste for religion, but that feeling really is spread pretty evenly over all religions. So, I don't think his particular faith prejudiced me any more than any other would have. But the real takeaway from this today and the big realization I had is that religion is just organized tradition at its core. And it's these traditional views that cause these sorts of problems rather than the religion itself. I mean, don't get me wrong. Religion is undoubtedly the number one way this type of arcane, destructive, traditional view is passed down through the generations. But they by no means have a monopoly on the practice. So traditions can simultaneously be the thread that holds societies together while also being what holds them back. Civilizations throughout human history have been held together by shared religions, while it has often been the exact same religion that have held those societies back. So I think that this is the moral that I was you know, trying to grasp originally and, and couldn't. And in this case, the man on the subway, I, you know, I wanted to point out that it was his traditional views, regardless of which religion or cultural upbringing instilled them, that had given him a backwards and counterproductive perspective on how to treat women. I do think it's likely that it was his religious beliefs that guided his perspective on this, but that's more incidental than instructive, which is why I shouldn't have specified his religion at all. It's the blind following of any traditional views, regardless of where they came from, that is the much more universally applicable an important aspect of the story to examine. So that's what I wish I had done a better job of. I think we kind of did it anyways. I think the calls that came in and things were said, I think we sort of examined that, but uh, you know, maybe too much uh, weight was put on his religion and not enough on just the concept of following traditional views for the sake of following tradition in the first place. So I tried. I could have done better. I'll try to do better next time. In the end, I think, you know, I think we got to the right place, even if we had to take the roundabout way to get here. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show, especially uh, by becoming a member or donor. Those uh, people support the show financially. That is absolutely how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks. That can all be done at the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show. Notes on the blog. So, coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.